Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Freund. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams, and our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Today's story is Undermarket Data by An Owomayela, read by Stefan Rudnicki. This story is copyright 2014 by An Owomayela. An Owomayela is a Nutwa author with a background in web development, linguistics, and weaving chainmail out of stainless steel fencing wire, whose fiction has appeared in a number of venues, including Clark's World, Asimov's, Lightspeed, and a handful of year's bests. An's interests range from pulsars and Cepheid variables to gender studies and non-standard pronouns, with a plethora of stops in between. C can be found online at on, that's A-N, dot Owomoyela, that's O-W-O-M-O-Y-E-L-A dot net. And now, buckle up. We're going to light speed. Under Market Data by An Owomoyela A drink arrived that Kulin hadn't ordered. No one sent drinks to the crowded annex where Kulin sat, crammed in with seven other people, all with contagion bands on their sleeves and matching tattoos on their arms. Sending drinks was an affectation Kulin didn't see much in the dead engine at all. The bartender who'd brought it over, Nis with the slit nostrils, the only one who'd served the contagious with anything approaching civility, shrugged, pointed to a woman at the counter and said, Don't ask me. I can't accept this, Kulin said. The thumb glass was sweating in the muggy air and Kulin could smell it from where he sat. It smelled like spices, something organic, something expensive. Everyone in the annex was watching. It's paid, and she won't take it back, Nis said, and pushed the glass at Kulin. Kulin took it. Then, as Nis walked away, and before any of the other contagious could make an offer or express interest or make a grab for it, Kulin tipped it back into its mouth. The drink was red and full-bellied and savory sweet with only the breath of the alcohol keeping it from feeling syrupy on his tongue. He wasn't worried about being drugged. His armband marked him as too virulent to take advantage of, and there were cheaper ways to get at someone in his profession. When he lowered the glass, he saw the woman who'd bought it already on her way out the door. He jumped up, abandoning his own cheap distillate. But by the time he limped out of the door, she'd already vanished into the spider's maze of alleyways. It was shitting down rain, most of it hitting the walls and the wires and the dishes with their antennas nosing toward the shreds of sky. A few lucky droplets managed a direct path down onto Kulin's neck and shoulders, while the rest slid down the buildings and into the gutters. Not many people wanted to be out on nights like this. Not many got a choice. Kulin sighed and unclipped his gloves from his belt. There was no point in returning to the bar. 
Nis made it his business to know as little as possible, and no one else would touch the mystery. A red cordial for a red-banded contage, a disappearing woman. What good would come of wondering about it? He pulled the gloves on and fastened the buckles around his wrists, setting the rubber snug against his palms. Then he took hold of the data line running up the side of the bar and climbed into the disused vertical avenues of the city. The white flag, stained gray from rain and city grime, called him halfway up a block of flats to a job. People like him didn't have territories, but this, inconvenient from the streets and rooftops both, was as close as it came to his, the space where it was easier for those who preferred to move in three dimensions than two. There was no ledge at the window, but good climbers never needed them. This window had a clothesline anchor, an outdated and rusting data satellite, a data network link, electric link, an illegal electric link, and a canister full of mineral wool in which a few seeds were failing to germinate. He made the leap from the opposite building and caught the proper network's electric link. Never could tell how the hack jobs would hold, and knocked on the window. No one answered for a minute or two. Then a shadow came up to the window grime and slid the plastic away. With that gone, the shadow became a young woman, who blinked blearily at him and then settled her eyes, as though by natural magnetism, on his arm. "'Lemmer, what do you need?' Coolin said and shifted. If he hooked his foot against the bolts of the hydroponics pot, he could lean away from the window, give her some contage-free space to breathe. She blinked at the band, then swallowed and looked at his eyes. "'Data's out.' I'm running security on T.I. Market. I can't go dry. Coolin grunted. How many others on security? Not enough. People don't feel safe anyway. Losing one set of eyes is going to keep people home. She shook her head. I just need data back. Soon, yeah. Coolin glanced behind her into the flat. It was spare, like he'd expect from someone her age, living alone. New monitors and cables and keyboards like he'd expect from someone on the data lines for a living. What do you pay in? Name a vendor, she said. I'll get you your worth. Her look got sharp. Minus the time you spend. Coolin nodded and turned to the data line. The woman pushed the dirty window plastic closed. A few meters up the data line, there was a patch of electric tape where another lemmer had hacked onto the line and patched it up. He peeled the tape away, pulled a reader out of his pocket, hooked it up, and went to work. Nis didn't bother asking for an order most days. There were only so many drinks Coolin could afford, and when he came in moving like all his muscles ached and looking like his mind was in the wires, that meant he was on a job, working rough, and unlikely to afford more than the drink which would be his rent for the annex stool. The stuff he was getting today was from Nis's backroom still, with flecks of sediment drifting at the bottom. At least, that was what he ordered. Nis arrived at his table with another thumb glass of something sweet and red, and it took Coolin a moment to react. You drink it, he said, and pushed himself up to limp into the main room. The woman from the other day was at the counter, tall, solid, and pale. She had slick brown hair just verging on black, and a face people would call handsome, but probably not where she could hear it. Her eyes were a thunderstorm green. She also had a halo of empty seats around her. 
Coolin was used to seeing those halos, but mostly around contagious. If there was one thing she wasn't, it was a contage. Even this close, she looked clean and not quite real. Real was soggy cigarette butts on a pavement which had started off gray and grimed its way to charcoal. It was the smell of people who only afforded full showers when it rained and the water discounts hit. Real was acne scars and loose skin from lean months. It was yellowing uneven fingernails and sour breath. Real wasn't her, which meant one of two things. She was fantastically sheltered or fantastically augmented, and sheltered didn't come down to the undermarket. So sit down, she said. Coolin shook his head. They don't like me on the stools here. No, but they like me. So sit down. She took a sip of her drink and didn't seem that concerned with whether he sat or not. The bartender at this end of the counter, a burly woman who looked like she'd put out her share of fights, was scrubbing out a pitcher and not looking at them as hard as she could. "'I'm sorry I had to disappear on you last night,' the stranger said. "'I got a call. Not that it helped. Nothing's panned out.' She turned, and something glinted behind her pupil, cool and startled. He'd never seen an ocular camera, but he could guess his picture had just been snapped. And who the hell was she, coming down here with optic implants and talking to him like he should know what she was talking about? I think you have the wrong person. I don't think so. The corner of her mouth tugged up into a smile. Coolin Way, the hook-footed limmer contage who spiders the walls and frequents the dead engine. How many of you can there be in a city? Not many. Coolin still didn't take the seat. Why were you looking for me? Because you're good and you're desperate and you know things I'm never going to know, she answered. And we can help each other. She extended a hand. Name's Jace. I keep the peace up city. Coolin ignored the cold dread at that intro and ignored the hand. Helping up city cops doesn't end well for us most days. This isn't most days. Her voice cooled and the smile disappeared. So did the offered handshake. Now she was giving him the look that rats give injured pigeons. Today I want to help you. I'm probably the only person in the city who does. And today, if we don't fix this thing, it's both our necks. So sit down. He still didn't sit down. She watched him like she really did expect that he'd just soil the nest for her. Then sighed. Fine. This data thing, you're on it? Every limmer in the city is probably on it, Coolin said. What makes you say that? He exhaled. I traced the signal, he said. Checked 30, 35 cables. Copper, optic, market, slough. Legal, illegal, he didn't say. Everyone's calling lemmers to get it fixed. Must be keeping you in bread, Jace said. Coolin shook his head. I don't know how to get it fixed. Besides, they'd been calling. He hadn't been answering. He'd been trying to work out what was wrong. He could show up and play the hero once he could actually fix things. You got a lead? Jace asked. Coolin grunted. Jace watched him, then rolled her eyes and growled, Fine. Here's what I know. She flipped the smart screen out onto the table, and Coolin noticed without surprise that it was a model he'd never be able to afford. And if he could afford it, it would get him killed for carrying it. All your lines are being clogged with encrypted data. We can trace it back, 
but it seems to be originating everywhere. Sounds like a virus, but it doesn't look like it's transmitting itself. And of the people who are actually willing to let me lay hands on their screens, none of them seem infected with anything. Have you got anything more than that? Kulan digested that. You're a tech special investigator, she said. Data is kind of important to us in Upcity. She said that with a note of self-deprecation. It was the first thing that made him think they could do business. You looked at the nodes yet? She blinked. Nodes? He grunted again. You don't know nodes? Tell me about them. Where all the data goes, Kulin said. Everyone connects to nodes. Nodes connect to each other. They keep data on hand, too, in case your smart screen gets nicked or busted. You want a picture of what's going on through the data, you go to the nodes, if they'll talk to you. Jace gave him a sidelong grin. It's less disturbed down here, she said. Would have made my job easier if I'd known that. None of that was adding up. Who sent you down and didn't know that? Kulin asked. Upsetty might be insular and arrogant, but he found it hard to believe they'd dispatch a special agent who didn't know how the thing they were investigating worked. And Jace wasn't even subtle about dodging the question. She shrugged, stood away from the bar, and said, So, show me to a node. The way to the closest node took them out of the undermarket and into the slough, where the previous day's rain had pooled in oily lakes on the pavement. It was a shorter path on the ground than the walls, although left to his own devices, Kulin would have taken the walls anyway. As it was, he limped in front of Jace, trying without success to avoid odd looks from anyone. He was a limping contage, leading some up-city clean. There was no way to avoid people's attention. They got to one of the better buildings in the slough, meaning that most of the windows were still in place and none of the footholds on the walls were cracking and ready to give way. Kulin looked up, the climb slotting into his mind without him needing to think about it. You stay down, he said. I'll ask what's been happening. I can climb, Jace said, digging in her hip pouch for gloves. Kulin shook his head. Not what I'm worried about. You come up, we get nothing. And why's that? Kulin looked down from the wall up into Jace's face. Because they trust us, he said. You couldn't pass for a lemmer if we had uniforms. You look like someone who'd care if they had an illegal electric link or hacked data. Jace huffed and gave the wall a cursory look over, eyes skipping from one link to another. All right, I'll sit this one out. You sit them all out, Kulin said. Then, when she didn't seem to comprehend, he said, Everyone who's not in Upcity has an illegal something. Why do you think we don't like Upcity cops? She looked like she was swallowing something bitter there, but she relented. Give me your smart, she said. I'll load it with what you need to know. Like most of the node managers in the district, Lisp had barred windows and reinforced walls, most of which weren't actually necessary because no one in their right mind would risk breaking a node if people could find out about it. That was fouling the nest in the most spectacular way. Lisp actually opened the window when Kulin came up and knocked, letting him into the flat and only a little extra distance between them. Then Lisp knew about being a contage. He'd been one, yellow band, for most of his life until Nodingham got the money to go up-city for treatment. He didn't talk about it much, but you could see it in his attitude and the set of his shoulders. Not the equipment I'm having trouble with today, he mumbled, and ushered Kulin back toward the bedroom. 
or what had probably been intended as a bedroom once upon a time. Now it looked like a data center had exploded in there, and Coolin suspected that Lisp slept on the pile of old cushions in the room with the barred windows. His privacy was one thing, but the transit of the district's data was entirely another. You seeing this? Coolin nodded. Got a white flag on it, he said. And I know someone who says it's clogging lines all over the city. On one of the stationary terminals bolted to the wall, a message popped up. One, one. Lisp glanced at it, and without much thought, typed in, two, three. It was one of the ubiquitous call-and-response codes, a little ping-pong, to let the person on the other end know that someone had picked up the connection, that a real person was typing. It's coming through me, and Pi's node, and Eric's, and every node I've talked to. He scratched at the thinning hair at his temple. Lisp didn't actually lisp, but he did mutter, and Coolin wished he could lean in to listen closer. I try to scrub, but soon as I get a pattern set up for the encryption, it changes. No use tracing the origin, neither. Comes from everywhere. I try to block it. I just end up shutting the whole network down. Do you know how it started? Coolin asked. Know how it did here, yeah. Another message popped up on Lisp's terminal, and he typed something back in keyboard shorthand, one-handed. Ask any other node, and it started different. But I can give you all the records I've took, if it helps you. Origins, patterns, volumes, all it might, Coolin said. Or it might help Jace, who seemed to have more resources for dealing with data like that. Lisp nodded absently, then wandered across the room to another terminal attached to a large bank. A few more commands and a burner on the floor spat out a thin finger of smart film, which Lisp picked up and tossed in Coolin's direction. That's all I have, Lisp said. Hope it does you more good than it did me. By the time Coolin got down to the alley again, Jace had made herself a seat out of an abandoned water drum and had her feet up on the wall across the path. Coolin had to fight off a stab of disgust. Sure, no one had probably come down this way, but there were things you didn't do if you weren't an asshole. Taking up the entire alley was one of them. I wanted to ask you something, Jace said without bothering to get up. Coolin made an acknowledging noise, and Jace waved a hand up at the walls. You fix all of this? Electric maintenance and repair, Coolin said. You're licensed, though. He grunted. That's what the L stands for. And it doesn't bother you? Jace asked. You go around and fix all their illegal hacks just like you fix the legal ones? Not like they don't pay me for the illegal stuff. He crossed his arm. Got a question for you, though. She motioned him to go ahead. You're up city, but it doesn't bother you. She hesitated on that just long enough to tell him she'd be lying. Arresting the entire district is outside my pay grade. I just want this thing solved. What did you get? He pulled the smart film out of his pocket. Down here, the light was too muddy to see the smudges of burned data, but Jace took it from him and fed it into her smart screen without a second look. He heard the beep of it making access, and Jace's eyes flicked over the data. He watched her. It was hard to believe someone could know what they were doing without knowing about things like district nodes, but she looked like she understood what she was seeing, straight through to the point where something caught her eye and she grinned. Ha! Huh. The exclamation made him jump. It was too much noise for an alley like this, and it made him want to clear the area. An hour on the job and you're nabbing more leads than I did in three days. I knew you were a good idea. 
I can use this, trace it back. She plucked the film out from between his fingers, and then he couldn't parse what was happening. She was moving closer to him, her hand was coming up toward his neck, and he flinched and stumbled sideways, ready to suffer the first blow, but her hand caught him, pulled him closer, and then her mouth was on his mouth, her breath hot in his. Coolin shouted into her and threw himself away, hit the wall. Jace stumbled back and Coolin tried to say something but found he had no words. He was gasping. "'Sorry,' Jace said, sounding more surprised than sorry. It was hard for Coolin to hear her anyway over the rushing of blood through his ears, the heartbeat rattling through him. "'That wasn't because you were desperate,' she said, and her words seemed to have the tone of an apology. "'I mean, I didn't decide to go for you because I thought you'd be desperate.' He stared at her, breathing hard. Then it occurred to him that that, that, was why she thought he'd jumped away. And then the fear got spiked with rage. She had his saliva on her lips, her sure-to-be-augmented upsetty lips, probably being preserved at that moment, ready for any lab wanting to look at it. He pushed away from her, back up against the wall, and spat, You fucking upsetty whore! Jace blinked at that. For one kiss? Come on. I was happy. For, he said, and the words imploded. I'm... Implosion again. He was shaking, and the grit in the concrete wall rattled against his back as though his shirt was nothing. His hand went to his arm, nails digging in just under the contagion band, and his voice was tighter than his fist. They can charge me, he said. They can fucking charge me. It took a moment, then her brow furrowed. You're worried about biological battery? Coolin was breathing too hard to answer that. Come on, I kissed you, Jace said. And whatever it is you've got, I'm immune. It doesn't matter, Coolin hissed. Law says, I don't fucking care what the law says. The fear was kicking at his ribcage. It felt like his muscles would constrict him, grind out his breath. I care about my mates who got banged up three years on when an old lay worked out they could get them back for something for the price of a shunt street traffic bribe. I care that you've stolen my DNA, he couldn't say. Spit was just one more thing to hold against people like him. If it came down to his word, the word of a gimp contage, a barely legal lemmer, scuttling around in the rain and the grime, his word against hers, he might as well just turn himself in as guilty and save the trouble. He took in a breath to say something, anything, and discovered that the fear was turning into nausea, and the nausea was thrumming through his blood. He turned to put a hand on the wall, pitched forward, and vomited. Whoa, Jace said, and stepped forward to help him. How she thought she was going to help, he didn't know. Fuck off, he snarled, and scrabbled for the wall. He could climb faster than she could, and he was sure of that. He could climb faster than any of these people who preferred the ground. He'd preferred the walls for a long time, where he was mostly whole instead of only half, where his crushed, hooked foot was an asset, not an injury. Not that it stopped Jace from following him. She was half a story up by the time he'd cleared two. Cool in, she called. Then louder in that don't screw with me, I'm the law voice. Cool in! But he was as good as gone. Coolin's perch wasn't even a flat more like what a flat would be after the ceiling fell in on half of it and all the windows got busted out. But it was enough shelter from the rain that the important corner kept dry, 
and enough shelter from the wind that if he curled up with blankets in the dry corner he wasn't too cold. And it was in such an awkward place that none of the landlords or roof gangs knew about it to come and collect rent. Electric and Data were both hacked, of course. But like Jace had said, he was licensed for maintenance and repair on these things. Lemmers didn't pay for these unless they wanted to, and Coolin didn't want to. His hands were shaking after the climb, but there wasn't much he could do about it except try to push everything out of his mind until any shit on its way to the fan hit the blades. He hooked his smart screen to the rat's nest of cables in the dry corner. Eighty-one new messages blinked into his notifs, and almost a thousand onto the common lemmer lines. He scanned the subjects, opened a sample handful, and skimmed them. All reports of flooded data lines, drowning in either encrypted signal or gibberish noise. A burst of laughter caught Coolin's attention, and he looked to see three kids clambering up the wall opposite his window, only to disappear into a balcony door. Two girls and a boy, he thought, though they were the age and dress and grime that made it difficult to tell. He froze, as though by moving he'd become noticeable and monstrous to them, like a troll under a bridge. Never mind that there was another specter in the district, a specter of choking data lines and failing data net, much more dangerous than a man with bad blood skulking in a ruined flat. Give people a small, specific threat and a large one with no obvious solution and they'd spend their energy on the smaller one every time. Though there was something to be said for the parallel there, him with the biological poison of his blood, the data lines with the algorithmic poison of their trash data. Mark the lines as contagious, he thought, and Upcity knows the next time it dips in for a kiss from our network we're both screwed. He shook himself out of it. Data fed knowledge to the schools and freelance teachers. It told the fire climbers where to go when fires broke out. It requested doctors and delivery of groceries and missing persons bounty trackers. Data ran the electricity failovers that kept the coldest parts of the city from going dark when the plants failed. Data let kids who'd never be taken by the factories or the upcity offices or trusted as couriers or anything else run security on the streets of the district. Without data, the district went blind and dumb and deaf. It might not die. Coolin knew a few things about surviving while crippled. But the balance of de facto cooperation would swing back toward free-for-all, and the people who could manage without the distributed net of helping one another here and there in hopes of getting help off yonder would be the only ones to thrive. They'd be criminals, mostly, and bullies. Coolin had dealt with both breeds and didn't much want to again. He looked at the smart screen. The encrypted stuff clogging the lines had the usual headers, the routes the data took, but a cursory look told him mostly that it was going around in a knot through all the relay points in the district. He took an origin at random and plugged it in as an address just to see what would happen. 1123, he wrote, and an answer came back, 581321. Odd. He'd been expecting a diagnostic error, not an answer pattern. Ping, he sent. Pong, it replied. He considered that for a moment, then typed district. The reply came back far too fast, distributed. He furrowed his brow. Where can I get locust flower? Again instantly, gauge dade exotic market, 31.5 credits slash kilo. Market bulk, 35 credits slash kilo. 
Vista Anton's 39.9 credits, slash kilo, on and on, like a search listing. For Up City, places no one in the district would frequent, ask about, know about. He scrolled six or seven screens down and found a few listings for Ag District shops, their flower at hundreds of credits a kilo. There weren't any barter houses, any old grandmothers in 13th floor flats with locust tanks, anywhere a real district person might direct him to. But search listings didn't answer pings with pongs. He typed in 1721, 1722, A17, A18, A19, and got A20, 2122-2123. The street crossings from the district's transit stop to the undermarket. That was a district-specific shibboleth. With nothing else for it, he typed in, Who are you? No one in the districts would answer that for someone they didn't know. And it might have been his imagination, but he thought there was a pause before it spat out a chain of gibberish. I am not going to the market was busy at 400 credits a kilo is a lot to carry up 20 flights of stairs. Coolin killed the data connection and pulled the smart screen away. He stared at the words a moment longer, then killed the display. Then he got out of his flat and into the more open air. Coolin crept through seven back alleys, passing more and more lemmer flags he didn't know what to do with. Eventually, he dropped back down to street level to clear his head and ordered a meal at a dumplings and noodles cart staffed by someone with gray in his hair. Coolin stayed away from the ones staffed by children, because he'd seen the way parents pulled their children close when he came by. He didn't want the kids to go home and talk about the contage who'd handed them money. The noodles were yellower than usual, which meant there was more millet or durum or something in the cheap mixed flour these days. The broth had a hydroponics cabbage tang. The salt tasted like more minerals than usual, and the blobs of protein could have been bean curd or anything. There was an entire news report about the current production in the ag districts, there in his bowl, if only he knew how to decipher it. There were too many things he didn't know how to decipher. The sky looked gray like it might let loose again, and he moved into a doorway and bent his head over his bowl. He could have looked up the chance of rain, but he didn't want to get on data lines that were already slowed to a crawl. He'd almost finished his noodles when his vision was interrupted by a steaming bowl of dumplings, a pale hand holding them there. Jace. Peace? He swallowed back a sudden taste of bile. Upsidy dog. She probably had tech to track him, or had planted something on him. Probably saw no problem with that either. Did someone tell you the best way to work down here was to buy people with food? Jace blinked. I keep torquing you off, and I don't mean to. I just thought these had to be better than what you're eating now. They probably were, but Coolin wasn't about to admit it, and they weren't that much better in any case. The menu said the dumplings were pork, but he suspected they were cooked filler with slightly more expensive seasonings than the noodles got. I'm not hungry, he said, and downed the last of the noodle broth so he could throw the bowl back at the dirty bowl bin. He glanced down the street until he caught a telltale heap of fabric and limbs hidden in a crevice between two shifted-together buildings, trying hard to be invisible. She's probably hungrier than I've ever been. Chase followed his gaze, gave him an odd look, then turned to take the bowl over to the street kid. The kid's eyes went wide, flicking around for avenues of escape, 
and Jace knelt down and offered the bowl out as though trying to lure a wild animal. Coolin couldn't hear what she said from there, but the kid darted out of her hiding place, grabbed the bowl, and darted back to stuff the dumplings into her mouth without taking her eyes off Jace. Jace got up and came back, spreading her hands. Peace now? Coolin just glared at her. She dropped her hands. I'm not going to charge you, she said. Coolin growled, pushed away from the wall, and limped up the street away from the street kid Jace had fed. I don't care if you're not going to, he said. I care that you could. I didn't mean to offend you, Jace said. Peace? He really wasn't being given a choice in the matter. He gave in, slumped back, crossed his arms tight over his chest. Why the hell are you down here? I want to solve this, she said. Yeah, but why? I've seen something like this in the district before, she said. Two districts. Got so bad that they just cut off the links to those districts. No data in or out. I don't want that to happen here. Coolin swallowed at the thought of being cut off, but she hadn't answered his question. Why not? Because it's not right, she said, too fast. He kept his eyes on her face. What do you care? She struggled for something to say. He could see it. He could also see how inadequate it was to her to settle on, because there are five-year-old boys down here who watch camera feeds so they can tell strangers when it's safe to go to market. Well, that explains something. You're one of those people who's in love with the districts even though they've never been here, Coolin said. There had been one in a flat a few alleys away from Coolin's a while ago. Came down to make a data lab where you could find parts for any machine in the market for cheap from mostly modern to decades out of date, came down for the spirit of adaptation and ingenuity. Hadn't counted on the electric that was buggy at best, or the way the cold went right through the buildings no one thought to insulate. Hadn't counted on half his protein coming from the larvae and the bread, or the way people bought up the buggy flour first, because hell if they could afford protein otherwise. In the end, he'd bugged off up city again. You find anything new? Chase asked. He let her dodge. He pulled out the smart screen, flipped it on, and showed it to her. I tried talking with the encryption. It's all patterns and words, but it doesn't make sense. That looks like a Markov chain, Jace said. Coolin frowned at her, and she explained. You figure out what words are most likely to follow each other and use it to make sentences. Of course, none of them makes any sense, but every three or four words do. Markov chains, Coolin muttered. What the hell are those used for? Market tests and party tricks, as far as I know, Jace said. But there's a professor up city who'd know more. Maybe it's a lead. She looked over at him like she was about to say, let's go, then caught herself. Coolin shifted on his bad foot, feeling a sudden pang of imposed self-consciousness. He was no more fit for up city than an up city pet was fit for the sewers in the slough. Jace exhaled sharply and reached out to clap him on the shoulder. He flinched away and she pulled her hand back with a rueful, sidelong smile. "'I'll keep you in the loop,' she said. She didn't. Ten hours later, the data lines cleared up like they'd never been clogged. The only news on the net was wild speculation, and aside from it was something with Markov chains, Kulin had nothing to add to it. He kept an eye out for Jace that entire evening, but didn't see her. No sightings, no messages probably to be expected, that. She might track him across the districts, but would she know his net address? 
probably she had better things to do. He went to collect his payment from the girl running security. From the look on her face when she answered her window, she wasn't impressed with his service. Still, he said, I earned something, didn't I? Minus the time you took, she said. Then after a second, she sighed. Hang on a minute. She vanished into her flat and came back with a plastic sack to give him. For your effort, anyway. Thanks, Coolin said. Then, as an afterthought, sorry. She shook her head and shut the window on him. He climbed up to an empty ledge, settled there, and opened the sack to find a half-full bag of red wheat, a jar of salt, and a clear envelope with a five-credit piece. It'd keep him for a couple meals. Not much, but something. No one wanted to send a lemmer away empty-handed. Thin times for everyone, but not so thin you'd flirt with the rep of being someone who didn't pay. He tied the sack shut and started climbing again, searching through the crevices of the district for the flags that said someone might need him. All around, the buildings crowded too close together, all but rubbing shoulders to keep from collapse. Coolin saw Jace again. After the rains had gone and the water was taking on the old plastic funk of stuff stored up again, he was sitting in the otherwise empty contage annex of the dead engine, as though nothing had happened, nursing cheap distillate and a bruise on his jaw, and another thumb glass of red cordial arrived. This time, Jace was carrying it. "'Sorry to disappear on you,' she said. Coolin grunted and kicked out one of the old crates that served for chairs. She took it without comment, and Coolin took the drink. "'So, what was it?' he asked. "'The seventeen-year-old kid in Visa Norte, trying to get into a technical college,' Jace said. And Coolin had to blink at the idea of someone being a kid at seventeen. He had this project to map the districts, not the buildings, the ideas, the data. She shook her head. "'He wanted to understand the districts.' I can understand that. He just didn't realize he was hurting them. You can understand that, too, Coolin said. She gave him a sharp look, then relented. Yeah, I guess. She reached over and took his distillate, gave it an appraising whiff, then tasted it. He watched her, but she didn't show disgust. Up City has a cure for that, Jace said, gesturing at his contage band. We could take off the tattoo, too. Coolin leaned back, probing at his bruise. "'So you came here to save us,' Coolin said. "'Then it turns out it's some up-city rat. "'That must smart.' "'He smiled despite the ache. "'The people down here know me. "'Tat or no tat, they know who I am. "'Up-city, even another district. "'I just be the no-reputation lemmer from the junk district slums.' "'Sounds like no cure.' "'Jace watched him for a moment.' How'd you get that bruise? He winced and turned away. We might not be perfect, but I think we're closer to it than you are, Jace said. Coolin shrugged. You might be better than us, but this is the place that lets me be good. And throws stones at your face? It had been a shoe, but it didn't matter. Hazards of existing. She looked pained. It shouldn't be. That wasn't a sentiment he could do much with. And what? You're here to make my life better? I don't really want to be your district charity adoption case. Jace looked chastised, but more like she'd already been thinking it than like he'd called her out. Friend, then? Can that work? That didn't compute. Friend? Well, clearly I can't save you, 
She pinched at the skin between her thumb and forefinger. And we've seen where trying to study you gets us. But you interest me. Maybe you could deputize me. Kulin doubted that Upcity taught people the meaning of the word deputy, at least any definition that would follow them down into the districts. I fix electric and data lines. She shrugged. Then that's where I'll start. He was about to respond, but it occurred to him that maybe Jace was like a blood-borne disease he wasn't getting rid of. What you could do, with contagion, with the crud in the water supply, with the bugs in the flower and the very fact of Upcity in the districts, was learn how to live with it as best you could. He shook his head, sighed more for effect than for protest, and said, Let me buy you a drink this time. Jace raised an eyebrow, and Kulin ignored it, and raised a hand for Nis to come. Welcome back. You just heard Undermarket Data by An Owomayela, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki. We hope you enjoyed it. If so, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and leave a comment there. And if you'd like to spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Lightspeed Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. If you are not already a subscriber, check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with yours truly. Our audiobook story collection, Lightspeed Year One, is available from audible.com and includes all of the podcasts from Lightspeed's first year, which was nominated for the Hugo Award. The collection is also available on downpour.com. Just search for Lightspeed and you're on your way. Once again, this month's issue of Lightspeed Magazine is sponsored by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. They can be found online at edgewebsite.com. This podcast is copyright 2014 by Lightspeed Magazine. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. See you on the Bitstream. I'm Jim Freund, wishing you cheers from all of us at Lightspeed. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.